All right, third John. The book of third John. And last week, Last week, uh, as we, uh, we finished up our short series in 2 John, 2 John, of course, is a pretty short book, but that doesn't make it any less important to our life as believers. There are some very important practical truths that we can apply to our own life from 2 John. You know, sometimes we look at some of the shorter books in the Bible, and we can tend to um, glance over them or not take much time to look through them, but even the shorter books in the Bible... Uh, are for our uh, growth and for our edification. Um, there's a, uh, old, a famous commentator, he's an old-time commentator, his name is Adam Clark. He said this about the shorter books in the Bible. He writes, uh, But it has been the lot, both of the minor prophets and the minor epistles, to be generally neglected. For with many readers, bulk is everything, and no magnitude, no goodness. Sometimes we neglect the shorter books, thinking there's not much to them for us, but there's plenty if we would slow down and take time to really meditate and think about what God is trying to teach us in His Word. And so the first thing that we noticed last week is the hospitality that was prohibited as believers. Our call is to love others, uh, and, and that's, that should be our heart's desire is to love others. We, we want to love others because we have been shown great love by Christ. And by the way, if this desire to love others is not present in our heart, we need to examine our hearts. We need to get right with the Lord. And He wants us to love others. He wants us to love each other. That's the second greatest commandment from God is to love others as ourself. And so it's not optional. But there's a hospitality that's prohibited. We saw it's this hospitality to these false teachers, these who are trying to lead others away from Christ and away from the gospel. And so we're not even to wish them well, John says. And so he's not referring to the unbelieving neighbor or family member. Again, he's referring to that false teacher, the Antichrist, those who are trying to actively lead others away from Christ. We also noticed last week that we should seek after hospitality's product. And the product of true hosp hospitality is uh, joy in the Christian life. And we should want this joy that is full, that John writes about often. Sadly, we, um, we often, instead of showing hospitality, if we're not careful, we begin to uh, look for differences and compare ourselves to others, and we start to criticize. Instead of uh, encouraging and, sh and showing love and kindness, if we want to have the, this kind of joy, we need to be hospitable and loving to our family in Christ. And then finally, we notice that hospitality is to be practiced. It's something um, that we need to do, not just talk about. And so we need to start taking the action of showing hospitality, but not just to those in the church, but those outside of the church, outside of the walls of the, build, of the building. Um, a believer uh, who is not being hospitable, who is not being kind, is, is not being uh, a loving Christian. And so um, we need to practice hospitality. Tonight, we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to start looking in 3 John. Um, and this is going to be our last uh, book in this series, 3 John. And 3 John is like 2 John in some respects. The main theme of 3 John is hospitality. 
um, which is just love in action. And Second John dealt with some general aspects of hospitality, but in Third John, we're going to see some real-life applications, some real people that were involved, some real individuals who showed hospitality and others who did not. And so they're very real examples for us of this theme of hospitality and, and love for one another. And so as we make our way through Third John, uh, we need to learn some of these lessons on hospitality. So let's we're going to look at just verses 1 through 4 this evening, though. Third uh, John, verses 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll pray against the message. Third John, starting at verse 1, the Bible says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so uh, this evening I want to look at this idea of no greater joy. Uh, but let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day that you've given us and for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us now as we look at your word to uh, focus on it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to set aside any distracting thoughts. And God, I ask that you would just help us uh, to practice this hospitality, Lord, and, and love for one another. God, I just ask that you would help me to be emptied of self, to be filled with your spirit. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do this evening, and that's to speak to our hearts. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into the main points, I do want to take some time to go over the context of this book. Like 2 John, uh, just like 2 John, 3 John is likely written towards the end of John's life. That's why he refers to himself as the elder there at the beginning. It's a reference both to his age, but also his position in the church as an apostle, as somebody in authority. And so he's a leader in the early church uh, with a unique authority from the Lord. But he has the same passion, the same desire for these churches as any pastor would have. And so we see in First John, uh, he writes, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And so the last letter, Second John, was written to a church, as we saw. Now, of course, some people uh, believe it's written to an individual lady, and that could be the case. But as we, we saw, it's uh, my belief that it's written to a church. But regardless, uh, John here, now he's, we know for a fact he's writing to a person. This is something that's not disputed. He gives us the exact name of the person. And so, uh, and this is a person that John loves. He cares for. He calls him his well-beloved. Later on, he refers to Gaius as one of his children, uh, one of his children in the faith. And so, uh, as we have seen, John, he's pretty fond of using this familial language when referring to the family of God. And that's because we are a family uh, to those who are saved. We're a, a new family. And so, uh, John had a close relationship and a love for those who were in the faith. He saw them as spiritual uh, children and family. And so he's writing to this man named Gaius. And it's important to note that Gaius is, not, is likely not the same Gaius that's mentioned in some of the letters of Paul. Paul knew a few believers uh, named Gaius. We see this in passages like Acts chapter 19 and verse 29. Also in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14, and then also in Romans chapter 16 and verse number 23. If you could actually turn there, hold your place in 3 John, but Romans chapter 16 
In verse number 23, Gaius was a very common name uh, during this time. as a common Roman name, and so there are many Christians named Gaius. And I, I do want to point out something that I thought was interesting. Um, I don't believe this is the same Gaius, uh, but it, it was an interesting thing that I noticed. In Romans 16, 23, the Bible says this, Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. And then he mentions a few others. And so, um, although it's, it's probably that these were not the same Gaius, I just thought it was interesting. Here's another individual by the name of Gaius that Paul knew, who was known for being a host, somebody hospitable to not just Paul, but he writes, the whole church. And so, if anything, this shows us how common and important it was for the early church especially to be filled with hospitable saints. They were living in a time when persecution against the church was rampant. The church was under attack from the government. And so hospitality was necessary. Hospitality was uh, important for the church to thrive. But it was done out of a love for one another, just as Christ had taught them to do. And so the early church was known uh, to have followers of Christ uh, by their, that were hospitable in their love for one another. And so John is writing to Gaius, his well-beloved. He cares for this man. He's like a son to him. Gaius was to John as Timothy was to Paul. He was somebody who John took the time to disciple, to teach, to train. Uh, he looked at him as his own son in the faith. And he writes that he was walking, uh, as we'll see in a minute, he walked in the truth. John loved him in the truth. And so Gaius was a person who his life was one that was very evident. He was walking in the truth of the gospel. He didn't just talk about his love for others, but he showed it. And so John writes there, he says, whom I love in the truth. John's love for Gaius was rooted in the truth. It was the truth that brought these two men together. It was the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what binds us to one another and to other believers is the gospel and the truth of the gospel. Uh, and, and so that means if someone is teaching a false gospel, there, there can be no unity. There can only be division. And so uh, we need to be united with other believers, those who are in the gospel, and, and it's the truth that unites us. And so John is writing to Gaius, as we'll see, uh, over the next couple of Sundays, John is writing to Gaius because there's an individual in the church who is lording over the church, who is not being hospitable, who is not being loving, and he was preventing others from being hospitable and loving as well. And John is writing to Gaius to encourage him and to uh, in, instruct him uh, on what to do. And so that's the context of this letter. But now we're going to get into the message. And the first thing that I want us to see is in verse 2. A prayer for well-rounded health. A prayer for well-rounded health. In verse number 2, John writes, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. John here again, he calls Gaius his beloved. He's like a son in, a, in the faith to, to him. Four times in this letter, John refers to Gaius as his beloved. Uh, someone he deeply cared about. And we see that John the Apostle, he was loved deeply by Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 13 and verse number 23, the Bible says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And that was referring to John. 
And then in John chapter 19 and verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. In John chapter 20 and verse number 2, the Bible says, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. In John chapter 21 and verse number 20, the Bible says, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Notice that all those verses I just mentioned, they are from the Gospel of John. Uh, John the Apostle, who's writing 3 John. And John was writing about himself there as the Apostle whom Jesus loved. And now John is not saying here uh, that somehow Jesus only loved him and Jesus didn't love the other disciples. We know that's not true. Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world. He loves all people. He loves especially his disciples, his children. And so why does John always call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? It's because John's identity was rooted in Christ's love for him. John saw himself as being loved by Christ. And I think that's why John always talked about having joy that is full as a Christian. Uh, and that's how we have joy that is full as Christians when we understand who we are in Christ. And that Christ loves us and that He gave His life for us. I wonder this evening, do we see ourselves? Do we understand that we're loved by Christ? If you have been saved, you are. Christ loves you. And the more that we dwell in that truth, the more we understand that truth, the more we meditate on that truth, the more joy we have in our life as Christians when we understand we are loved by the creator of the world. We are loved by the one who made us, who died on the cross for our sins. And so we need to root our identity in Jesus Christ. How many Christians root their identity in something else? We're tempted to root our identity in our jobs, in social media, in our money, in our presence. Uh, and when those things fail, we feel unloved, we feel insignificant. Uh, some people think if they just had enough money, other people would love them. If they could get all of their family to love them and agree with them, they would feel, a they would feel adequate. Uh, but inevitably, that fails. Some people think if they had enough attention on social media, uh, that they would be happy, but then someone else has more attention than they do, and they're left feeling inadequate. We need to root our identity in the fact that Christ loves us. And he died for us. And we were once his enemies. We, we were once against him. And yet he died for us. He gave his life for us. Do you see yourself as loved by Christ? Perhaps we need to spend more time understanding the reality of Christ's love than trying to earn the love of others around us and the love of things around us. John loved others with a great love because he knew that he was loved with this same great love. How could he not love others? He had received this tremendous and undeserving love from his Savior, and he could not withhold that from others. So the question tonight that we need to ask ourselves is, if we know that Christ loves us, who are we loving? Who are we investing in? John took time to invest in Gaius. He took time to invest in other believers as well. Who are you investing in? Who are you loving in return? Not just talking about saying you love somebody, but spending time in prayer, spending 
energy, spending your passion into loving somebody else. The gospel is not just a message that we preach, but it's a message that changes our life, and we, we want to see others' lives changed as well. And so because John loved Gaius, because he saw him as his beloved, he prays here in verse number 2 for his physical health. Uh, he prays for him. He, he, he wishes that he had, he had good health, uh, just as his soul prospereth, he said there. Many times you can find those who are Christians, they, they have good physical health, but what about our spiritual health? Um, David Guzek, in his commentary, he wrote this. He said, many Christians would be desperately ill if their physical health was instantly in the same state as their spiritual health. If physically we were exactly how we are spiritually, what would we look like? Are we spiritually strong as believers? You know, it's often the Christian who Christ has allowed to suffer physically who has tremendous spiritual strength. I think of the Apostle Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh, and he no doubt wanted that, flesh, that thorn in the flesh to be gone. But Paul thrived spiritually because his faith was in Christ. And so we should not let our physical health keep us from doing all that we can for Christ and for others. We should do our best, of course, to take care of our physical health, but sometimes God allows those thorns, those tests, those trials in our life to teach us to grow spiritually. And so, uh, but we see here there's nothing wrong with praying for physical health, uh, especially for others. That's such a tremendous blessing. If we care about somebody, we can and ought to pray for their spiritual and physical health. Perhaps Gaius had some physical ailment that we're not told about. And so John is praying here for his physical health. Uh, but it was evident here that he was spiritually healthy. He says, he says I'm praying for you to be physically healthy just as your soul uh, prospereth. Just like you're spiritually healthy, I want you to be physically healthy as well. And that's because Gaius, he was spiritually strong. He was spiritually healthy. Uh, that was not something John was worried about. And so we see a prayer here for well-rounded health. Uh, those who we care about, we should pray for them, for their physical and spiritual well-being, and we need to invest in them. And so we see a prayer for well-rounded health. Number two, we see a walking testimony, a walking testimony in verse three. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Gaius had a walking testimony. John, he he rejoiced greatly because he heard from these tra there were traveling preachers in this time, missionaries who would go church to church preaching the gospel. And Gaius was a person who would take them into his house and house them while they were traveling on the road. He showed them hospitality. And these preachers, they heard about this, and word got back to John about Gaius's hospitality. And so uh, he had a walking testimony. His love for others was doing something. His love was put into action. He was not just in the truth, but as John writes there, he was walking in the truth. Uh, tonight, uh, I, would, I would dare say everyone here, we, we claim to be saved, but the real question is, are we walking in the truth? Are we living as Christians? Does our testimony walk? Our love needs to be doing something. If our love is only ever talked about and never shown, uh, it's not real love. And so we need to have a testimony of loving the brethren, if the people that we dealt with on a normal basis in our life were to give an honest report about us, what would be said? Would it be said that we are kind, that we're compassionate, 
that that person is loving, they're honest, they're caring, or would, it be, would the report of ourselves be that we are contentious, we are angry, we are bitter, we only want to cause division with others? What is our report? Whether we realize it or not, our testimony is walking somewhere. And people are going to know us as something. And it should be our desire to be known as hospitable and loving Christians that honor Christ. And so we see a walking testimony. Number three, and finally, we see the wonderful news. Wonderful news in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Many parents uh, look to this verse as a prayer for their own children, and rightfully so. And for John, he was not just referring to his actual children, if he had any. I don't know if he did or not. Uh, but he was referring here to Gaius, his spiritual, one of his spiritual children and others. He had no greater joy than to hear that they were walking in the truth, that they were being faithful to Christ. Nothing brought John more joy and excitement than to hear this news, that they were being faithful to what they had been taught. The gospel that he had preached to them and that had changed their life, uh, it brought him joy to hear that they were continuing in that. And we need to realize that John, he was likely exiled to an island during this time. It's not like he, could, he got to see all of these people very often. And so he only heard reports through letters and through word of mouth that those who he loved uh, were being faithful or being unfaithful. Uh, and it brought him great joy to see, to hear when somebody was continuing in the truth and continuing in the faith. I don't think she'll mind me saying this, but the first person I think about when I read this is Miss Thelma. Every time I go to visit her, she always asks about those in the church. How are they doing? What are, what are they up to? Are, you know, what's the church up to? What are things like uh, in the church? She finds great joy in hearing about uh, the continuing faith of those in this church. And not just those in the church. She'll ask about people in my family that she prays about, that she, she is always thinking about. And uh, again, it brings me back to the question, who are we investing in? Who are we investing in our life? If we want real joy... Get somebody under your wing spiritually to pray for, to mentor, to teach, to lead them, and, and spend time with them. This verse is not just for parents and their biological children, though it certainly is. It's, it applies to, to the senior saint who's homebound and investing in others by praying for them daily. It applies to the Christian servant who's taken a bus kid under their wing and has spent time investing into them day after day, praying for them. It applies to the Sunday school teacher who invests in their students. Do you want to see uh, those who you are investing in walk in the truth? We need to be faithful to love them. Don't stop loving them. Don't stop serving them. Our work for Christ will not be in vain. It will not return void if we keep on investing and keep on praying for those that Christ has entrusted to us. There's nothing more exciting than to see those who you have invested into grow up, remain faithful, and continue in the faith. Tonight, we need to realize that if we're saved, we're loved by Christ. It needs to start by rooting our identity in His love for us. We need to understand that. We need to get our identity off of everything this world tries to offer to us and understand who we are, that we are sinners, whom Christ has died for, and who He loves. And when we see that we are loved, we need to start walking with that same love to others. And our testimony needs to be walking. There should be some action 
to that love. There should be something that we are doing to love others. How are we investing in others tonight? And when we invest faithfully in others, we'll see fruit uh, from that. If not in this life, we'll see it in heaven. Sometimes we spend hours and days and months and years praying for somebody, investing in them, and we don't see very much come from it. But in heaven, you'll see fruit. You'll see reward from that. You'll be blessed because of that investment. There's nothing that, brings, that will bring you more joy than seeing that your children, those who you invest in, are walking in the truth. So is there someone you're investing in this evening? And so this evening, we see this idea of having no greater joy. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for this challenge uh, from your word.